Davis Nordle, Technology Senior Analyst at RSM, is excited to introduce today's program. He says, in today's Secrets of the Middle Market podcast, Jeff Husey, CEO and co-founder of Tempered.io and founder of F5 Networks, covers startup culture, leadership principles during the COVID-19 pandemic, and keeping today's digitally connected world safe and invisible from network-based attacks. After five years in a self-imposed stealth mode, Tempered emerges as a market leader offering cutting-edge software that creates invisibility to all the networky stuff, literally any connected thing. Thank you, Davis and RSM, for your support of today's program. Welcome to the Secrets of the Middle Market podcast. Today, we're talking with Jeff Husey, the founder of F5 Networks and more recently, Tempered. Both companies are based in Seattle. And both companies deal fundamentally with how we use the internet and share data. With F5 and Tempered, Husey saw that the equipment and protocols that had been historically used to move all that data weren't cutting it. And so he set out to fundamentally change how things are done, adapting those legacy systems to meet modern needs. Jeff and I talked about those technologies and how they changed the landscape. We also talked about the culture of startups versus more established companies and the leadership qualities needed during this strange time of COVID. What employees need to feel engaged as they work remote through this long slog of quarantine. Jeff told me F5 got its start in 1996 as the internet was rising to prominence. Telco circuit costs were skyrocketing, and so was the amount of traffic on the public network. That was burdening servers and creating a bottleneck where the servers couldn't handle the load. And if you wanted to upgrade your server so it could handle more bandwidth, you had to shell out big bucks. Here's Jeff describing the problem that F5 set out to fix. At the time, and still today, the economics of servers were and are, if you want to have a server that will go twice as fast, say instead of having a server that could accommodate maybe 100 simultaneous users, you wanted 200 simultaneous users, you'd have to buy a server that costs five times as much. So it was that whole notion of, in the industry, it was well accepted. If you want 2x performance, you had to pay five times as much for the next better box. And so it was my observation that, hey, the Internet's really cool and people are adopting it and it's going to be a big deal, but it's just not going to work if, with this economic model in place. The idea behind F5 was to build a load balancer. And so you could use, um, you buy the load balancer and then if you want to double your horsepower, you buy another server. And if you want to double your horsepower again, you buy two. And if you want to do it again, you buy four. And so it, that changed the economics and the reliability or, or a number of economic inputs for people who were web hosting at the time. And that just, and it was turned out to be a pretty good idea and timely. So <clears throat> that's why we did it. And so what F5 had and still does to this day is a product called um, Big IP. And what Big IP did was sit in between the communication circuits and the servers and distributed load across those servers. And 
So in the beginning, it, the focus was just on scalability and reliability, but then the technology continued to evolve and advance, and we focused more on app, application delivery and started that market, and then I guess the rest is history. So that's how F5 got its start. From there, we talked about the applications of that same technology today and how those applications have changed. And how has the technology changed over time? The needs of, of your customers, is the concept roughly the same or have you had to evolve and scale the, the technology to meet a new set of needs? I'd say the answer is yes to both parts of your question. The divide load across a bunch of servers remains today. Obviously, there's a lot more competitors in the space. Some we put up, some um, F5 just decisively won against, and they're no longer doing that business. But at the same time, there are also software versions of what F5 has traditionally sold as hardware that are utilized in cloud compute environments. And so that the whole advent of cloud computing has changed this. And so F5's had to evolve over the years to keep its space business and keep up with the technical requirements of a rapidly evolving customer base. Before founding Tempered, Husey noted that computers that are part of our nation's fundamental infrastructure, the ones that serve our basic needs like water and electricity, were still using TCP IP, a very old protocol that presented security risks. That was less of a problem before computers were all connected to each other by the internet and the cloud. But today, that interconnectivity presents all kinds of new security threats. Tempered solution to those security problems is basically a cloaking device for networks that hides them from hackers. So the why of Tempered is slightly different than the why of F5. Back in the day, when TCP IP, which is the protocol that everyone uses, it accidentally become the global backbone of commerce and communications. When it was invented, a guy named Vince Cerf would get on the phone and ring up his buddy at UCLA, Len Kleinward, who, and they exchanged pleasantries on the phone, and then they would put their handsets on analog-coupled modems and their computers, which are, were the size of office buildings, through routers the size of refrigerators, would negotiate a session. So there was no security. It wasn't needed. They had a voice print. They knew each other's voice. And nothing moved. They just didn't move supercomputers back in the day because they're enormous. Now we carry supercomputers around in our pocket everywhere we go, yet we still use the same protocol. So that needed to change, especially given the fact that networks of physical things that bring us stuff that we take for granted and our electricity and our natural gas and so on and so forth, plus manufacturing environments or healthcare environments or what have you. These networks have existed for decades. But in most cases, they've not presented a security risk to their operators because they've been completely disconnected from any other networks. So 
I call it, we call it the air gap, and it was basically you could have a secure network because it's obscure, very difficult or impossible to find. Once again, the advent of cloud computing and the economic benefits of connecting all of these formerly disconnected networks to the cloud for the purposes of data analytics, telemetry, predictive maintenance, all sorts of things, those air gaps have gone away. And so the threat environment has just exploded exponentially. And you can see that in ransomware attacks being 5 to 12x, depending upon how you count it, just in this calendar year. So what we do at Tempered is we have developed a solution that we call the air wall that fixes that fundamental flaw that exists in TCP IP. And in doing so, we're able to build networks that simply don't exist. They're invisible to anybody who isn't supposed to be on them. So by definition, they're invisible to hackers, invisible to malware, invisible to any kind of adversary to a network. And, and it was a tremendous amount of work to do that, but basically, I'm sure that you're, you have a network in your home and, and you've seen an IP address, typically 192.168.0.1 or something to that effect. And any, anything that connects to a network will get issued an address. And that address, that number, serves as both its location and its identity. Big mistake. Those numbers are very easy to spoof. And because this, the operation of networks is that if, once you're attached to the network, then you connect to everything you can possibly see, that's what makes, that's, that's what makes hacking a relatively straightforward exercise. That whole, I liken that notion to being the, the technical equivalent of going to a cocktail party and introducing yourself with your social security number. That's not something <laughs> that any person would do, but that's what happens between our devices all the time. So we change that. We have what is referred to as zero trust environment. So nothing is trusted until it, it's explicitly allowed for one to end devices to communicate with each other. And, and it's based upon these cryptographic identities that we assign to the devices. And so you get a lot of benefits from that. Your network is invisible to threats. It's all very granularly segmented and everything's encrypted. And we, re, we have reduced the management complexity to radio buttons on a single pane of glass user interface. You had had all the success with F5 by 2002, you knocked it out of the park. What made you decide to found Tempered? How, when did you start the company and, and how did that come together? As I mentioned, I started to see these problems arise. But take the target hack, textbook example where a major Fortune 100 business was viciously attacked through an HVAC controller. And that's because just precisely the problem that I described a few minutes ago about these networks that have traditionally been obscure now being connected to a much you know, bigger network and presenting and creating these massive breaches, just opening all the doors in your house and inviting people.
people over to steal your stock. And so networking hadn't really evolved, particularly from a security perspective. And I thought, and I was looking for opportunities to get back into the game. And I ran across a team of talented engineers who had worked on a, a similar solution in Boeing up in the Everett plant and teamed up with them. And that was in 2014. Surely other companies, Microsoft, Oracle, whoever else, AWS, saw this problem coming, saw this change that happened in the landscape in terms of security. You must have some competitors out there. What do you offer that they don't? That's a great question. We have to compete with all the ways people have been doing things for 20 years. And so that includes sometimes people try to solve this problem using firewalls or they were, will use other technical things called access control lists or virtual local area networks or virtual private networks, all known by alphabet stew of acronyms. Mm-hmm. But no one has addressed the problem in the same unique way that we're doing it now. We're still the only one to have commercialized the solution based upon this new protocol called the host identity protocol. And so while we do have while we do have gobs and gobs of tangential competition, we have no direct competition. People somebody no other company does what we do the way we do it. And how is the idea taken off in the marketplace? Are you disclosing the number of customers that you have or Could you share with us some growth metrics that illustrate how you guys have done over time? For all intents and purposes, we've been in a self-imposed stealth mode for five of the last six years because that's how long it's really taken to get this technology to um, the point it's now at, which is easily deployable in just about any environment. But along the way, we've managed to get somewhere between 100 and 200 customers, tens of thousands of endpoints deployed. And now, especially as secure remote access and secure networking in general is is a top priority in most businesses, we're seeing pretty rapid growth in our business. That's terrific. And you mentioned... That's supercomputers back in the day, the early dinosaur model for what we do now. These computers were the size of buildings. They didn't move. They weren't mobile. We didn't carry supercomputers in our pockets the way we do now. With COVID, everybody is even more distributed in their work and where their devices are located. How does that affect your customers' needs and where do you come in there? It just makes our solution even more timely and appropriate in lots of different types of environments. So naturally, as well, maybe not naturally, but we use our own stuff. So we eat our own dog food. And so all of our developers, regardless of where they are, whether they're sitting in their desk in the office or sitting at home or in a Starbucks or wherever, because they use our solution, they can be anywhere and, and still not change their security posture. They, 
epically good connectivity and security in anywhere in the world that they'd have if they were in the office. So software companies are very um, careful about their called the build server. That's where you keep your intellectual property. And so those build servers are very carefully guarded because of the devastation that can occur if someone were able to come in and steal all your stuff. So our, we sent, our crew went home on March 13th and nothing changed. It all stayed the same. And, and that's been the case for our customers where they were really happy that they had this infrastructure in place prior because it enabled them to do their jobs remotely with the same level of security that they'd have if they were you know, on location. I wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk about this current environment we're in and your experience as a business leader. What do you see as the qualities that are most needed in a company right now to survive in this bizarre environment that we're all in at the moment? Yeah, it's a great question, and one that I think about a lot. Okay, so as a software person, you understand that when you write the software that goes onto a computer, you get to tell the computer everything it can possibly ever know. So you're the god of the box, so to speak. And I think that by the same token, Human nature is something that if your business plan requires overturning any aspect of it, by definition, you'll never have enough time or money to be successful. And I just don't think that humans are wired. We don't have the programming to do all of our, to do all of our communications and all of our collaboration remotely. There's that interpersonal aspect that has been bred and trained into us from birth that we get so much more information and so much more effective communication when we're physically together than you can ever get virtually. One of the things I did was I put a great big flat screen in my home office so I could see my entire team at the same time because the, it, having, work, having had a work-from-work work culture for most of my adult career, it's something that I'm accustomed to. And so this has been a, a pretty um, challenging shift to, to make in, and adjust to the management realities of doing everything remotely versus how we've done it for, in my case, 30 years. That's interesting. And Tell me a little bit more about that screen. For uh, I presume what you're talking about is a meeting where everybody is divided up into a tile and those who are speaking are the ones who show up on the screen. You want to see everybody regardless. Yeah, I, use the, I, I use the gallery view in Zoom. Okay. So I can, I can see everybody at once. And, and just because of my role, I get to say, okay, everyone turn your cameras on so I can see. Our editor does the same thing. <laughs> Why is it important to you to see everyone, including those who, who aren't speaking 
at the moment in the meeting? Um, I'm, I just want to see them because I can, you can get visual clues even if you're watching a screen on people, from people. Are they understanding what's going on? Are they distracted? Are they X? Are they Y? And so I just think that for certain types of meetings, this is the way that I've chosen to, to make my attempts to communicate as effective as possible, you know, given what we're dealing with at this time. And that's, that's a good lead into my next question. You're obviously paying close attention to your employees any way you can. What during this time do you see them needing from you as a leader? We just have to be even more deliberate and intentional about how we communicate with each other. And when you're all working in an office, I can communicate with a dozen people in a brief period of time just by walking around and engaging them in conversation about what they're working on and um, what their challenges are and what I might be able to do to break down some obstacles that they may face. But to do that when you have to schedule, and so that's a pretty ordinary routine process when people are all working together in an office, especially ours is a pretty open format. Now, if you um, take this environment where you need to schedule your interactions with a bunch of different folks to accomplish that same level of communications, it just requires a lot more clerical. It requires a lot more yeah, discipline and intentionality. Sure. And how has your team adapted to it? Did you run into some hiccups along the way, and how did you iron them out? I think that I'm generally pretty pleased with how the team has responded. We are, we haven't seen a dramatic drop in productivity. Everybody's still getting their jobs done, but it. I necessarily have to be sensitive to the fact that, you know, I'm. My kids are all grown, so. I I have a wife and a dog at home, but. Lots of my staff have infants or lots of young children at home. And so to try to maintain focus and to get a full day's work done in that environment is much more challenging than going to the office. Yeah, that is a challenge. So it's important to be sensitive to that reality and factor that into any inputs that that we're evaluating. How do you balance that with real customer needs and deliverables with drop-dead deadlines on them? Things that really aren't all that flexible and just can't move. How do you factor those needs of your employees in this new environment and the needs of the business? when it comes down to it. Yeah, it, I think that's exactly, that's a question that I've thought about a lot. And it really relates to culture. What's the culture of the business? And how do people work together? How do people treat each other? And one of the attractive attributes of a startup is that 
bureaucratic, less authoritarian environment where people can, you know, collaborate, create, execute, and get that sense of satisfaction instead of the, it's a different experience to just go to work in a big company. But in a big company with lots of, where there's more bureaucracy and the kind of company to staff interactions are slightly more authoritarian, it's easier to manage it's easier to manage this than in a smaller environment because I just don't have any interest in a bureaucratic authoritarian culture. And that's the big shift. What is it about your experience that made you turn away from that other management style? Why go in the direction that you went? Because F5 from the get-go had a very strong culture, and that and that lasted for a long time. And it was very collaborative. It was very productive, and so that was informative to me. And I that's just a part of the, the way I approach my work. And so to I really I view myself as an in I'm not the top of the pyramid. I'm at the bottom of the pyramid because my job really in any way I possibly can the people in the business who are on the front lines every day and to, like I mentioned before, help them knock down obstacles, eliminate friction, and be more efficient and effective in how they approach their work. That results in a collegial, apolitical, and collaborative environment, and that's what I think is the most effective for people in this line of work. Very cool. Jeff, thanks for taking the time to be with us. This has been a great discussion. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.